Welcome to episode 158 of A Pint with Shawnee B. If you're feeling a little bit like the acoustics have changed, we're actually recording this. The Donna's with me. Hello. Hi. We're actually recording this in my utility room, squished in with the washing machine, the mops, and all of the coats because there's some bozo outside with a uh, power drill all morning, preventing us from using our usual location. As ever, we're here today with the Don's Top 20 Countdown. She'll be letting us know who number eight is. How have you been? All the better for being in here. <laughs> I know it's weird. It's like a kind of a fort. Yeah, but like I spent my childhood making little apartments in my wardrobe. So like, this is just excellent. <laughs> we do this all the time. It's petite and bijou. It is. Uh, we, could, we could probably put a little bed up there at the top that we could climb up into a little kitchenette here beside it. You could yeah. probably get 900 quid a month for it on. <laughs> Especially in Dublin prices. Well, what news? Divil a bit. We're sitting here again during uh, COVID and Donald Trump, who's got his men on the streets beating up American citizens and rumour that he's moving towards martial law and Biden has got... I actually put a, quite a substantial bet this week on the Democrats to win the election. I didn't pick Joe Biden, just in case something happens. Oh, is that because of our little conspiracy theory? Well, no, just he's old. Anything could happen to him. He could catch COVID and die. But I, I, you, you put on, t- you put on two to win one. So, how much you put on? Two hundred. Two hundred to win three hundred. So the Democrats will win. I so. wonder who who will run America if Biden wins. Well, I think it'll be more like back to normal. I think he'll yeah. be more statesmanlike, and I think you'll have a lot less crooks in the cabinet, which I think is part of his problem. Donald Trump brought in lackeys, people who owed him favors, people who he owed favors to, criminal people. Like half of, like something like seven out of his original cabinet are in prison right now. Oh yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't think any government is perfect. I'm not thinking, oh, the Democrats will be in, to be perfect, there'll be no corruption and everything will be fair and wonderful. But, like, they have some shame. Let's at least pretend we're doing everything above board, whereas Donald Trump is just like a three-year-old going and going, I don't like you, I'm going to have my new friends in. And then, of course, we're talking, since we, we were last here, he aced the test on uh, <laughs> picking an elephant out from a llama and a rhinoceros. <laughs> and then, and then it, what was it? And then he starts going, no, no, it gets really hard. Like, you have to go, man, woman, person, TV screen and then like half an hour later they say do you remember what we said before and i went yeah man woman tv person screen can you say it again yeah man woman pete that's really hard <laughs> as someone says i don't know any president who's ever boasted acing a dementia test <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i despair the whole shit all country thing i've kind of done i'm just winding down in the hope that the americans just see the light and vote the way they need to vote and save the world from this nincompoop Nincompoop, that's a word I've heard that, though, a long time. Yeah, yeah, nincompoop. So any nincompoops for you this week? Do you know what? I'm going to surprise you and say not particularly. And it's it's strange. I'm, I'm kind of quite positive this week. And it might just be because I'm busy. I'm wrecked tired and I'm busy. So I haven't got time to really like, get into my feelings. You know, just turn it off. Like from the Book of Mormon, I use that all the time. Turn it off like a light. <laughs> I had a I had another podcast uh, so, sojourn this week with uh, the great Theo Delaney, who was uh, interviewing oh, yeah. me for his Life Goals podcast. I decided to make it all about the big Jack Charlton years, who, of course, in our previous podcast, we gave a little tribute to Jack Charlton, the ex-Irish football manager who died. So there's a podcast called Life Goals. If you're any, in any way interested in football, it's a great podcast where Theo gets guests in to uh, talk about 
the importance of some goals and that they football goals that have that have played in people's lives. So um, you know, I like that. I thought it was very good. I thought we've no the, real interest in football. Well, I thought Theo was great, and I was just thinking, imagine a great beef was about something else. Like, but no, <laughs> well, it was really we good. Theo Delaney is, is sort of a, a multitasker. He's on the Spurs show. If you're a Spurs fan, but he also has this great Saturday morning, yeah, radio show which great we kind of listen music. to. Music is great, yeah, and no, it's really good. Uh, he's a great little DJ. And he, I think, I think Theo's making money out of his podcastings, and uh, you know, he's a he's he's around everywhere. So I'm going to play a little excerpt. What would you like to hear? What bit? Oh, I'd have to say, exciting as all the football chat was, I'd have to say the bit where you out yourself as a Christopher fan. <laughs> yeah, sorry. One of the things about the Life Goals podcast is you have to bring along a piece of music that was of the time as well. So apart from all the give it a lash jack and put him under pressure, uh, I did I did admit that in my early teens, possibly driven by my kind of eyebrows religious schooling, you know, because Christopher was good clean rock. He was almost like Christian rock. Christopher Christian rock. Yeah, I, I had a period where I was into into Christopher, and I, I think my first ever concert that I went to was <laughs> Christopher and Croke Park, and like he used to fill out three days a week. Massive concerts. I mean, the Pope was big here as well. <laughs> yeah. Right, Christopher really, those of you from overseas who don't know who he is, he's this kind of schmaltzy Irish rock star who's really big in Germany, apparently, and was big here and wrote a great song called Lady in Red, which was one of Princess Diana's favourite songs. And he, he used to say he wrote it for his wife. And then she fell off a horse and was nearly paralysed. And then he was cheating with a nanny. And again... I think there's a statue of limitations on all this. This is my personal reminiscing of things and I apologise to Chris if I've got some of this wrong. And then he decided that he was, he didn't write it for his wife. He wrote it for somebody else, which is like, kick your wife while you're down, why don't you? And then the other weird thing about Christa Burke is his daughter. Miss World. Goes on to become Miss World. She's two twins now. He looks, he's got a kind of a Lego haircut. Oh God, love him like. And he's small and big eyebrowed like me. He's not exactly pretty. No, no. I mean, you'd, like you'd see a photograph of the family and you'd kind of go, maybe he wasn't the only one cheating. I remember I was in China, living in China. I remember I was playing pool in some out of the way place in in China on a session. And there was, they were, the bar was full of people watching Miss World, which I think was in Hainan Island or some island off the coast of, it was being hosted there. And as I was playing pool, I was like, I was going, these fucking interested in all the fucking this world, blah, blah. Of course, really big in the Philippines and stuff. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm playing pool and then I see in the front row, I see this fucking Krista Berg sitting in the front row. And I, I thought, oh, they're not going to have Krista Berg playing fucking Lady in Red. No, he was there as her dad and she fucking won the Roseanne Davison. Is that her Rosanna name? Davison, Rosanna yeah. Davison, yeah. She's quite hot. I mean, thank I mean, God she is because she's a fucking dose. Is she? Well, I know, look, that's unfair. I mean, like you, again, you, you might be just want to clarify that in case she comes after us. I'm really words. sorry and all the best with your pregnancy, Rosanna. Delighted for your good news. Oh, she's pregnant, did she? Yeah, did she have one already? But anyway, she was told she couldn't have any more, and she's pregnant with twins, and it's a miracle, and yada yada yada. Mm. So anyway, see how much of a miracle it is next year. This is a little excerpt of uh, Life Goals, the great podcast by Theo Delaney with uh, Shawnee B on it, talking about Krista Berg and. I was hoping that we would get Bob Paisley. Yeah. And Jack, in his own inimitable style, arrived and went, you know, I don't care what, what, who, who should have got it, but I'm here and I'm going to do my job. Yeah. And this gruff, tall, no-nonsense, famous 
gangly brother of an idol, you know, cheating Leeds United, dirty Leeds, <laughs> that kind of stuff from the day. Um, and he came in and uh, we were trying to qualify for Euro 88. Again, bear in mind, we had never, ever done anything in Ireland. We'd never been to a World Cup. We'd never been to European Championships. We were pretty much out. I was working in uh, Ogilvy, Dublin at the time. I was a trainee junior vegetable account executive, as I used to call myself. I had a, a Chris Waddle mullet, silver suit, white <laughs> shoes and a moped. And... Scotland were playing in, I don't know, it must have been November, December. They were playing out in Sofia. Nothing on the line for them. They were they were out. Um, if they won, which was unlikely, uh, this is a Christo Stoichkov, uh, Bulgaria. If they won, we would go through. And I was, you know, back in the old days, these ad agencies used to have little rooms where the, the, the video would be played into the boardroom. Um, and there was a guy who used to run all the reel-to-reels and all that. So I was popping in and out there just to see what the score is. And in, in, with something like three minutes to go, this guy we'd never heard of, he came on as a sub for Paul McStay called Gary Mackay. It was rainy. It was misty. It was like Eastern European television. And he and we're all there in, crammed in this little room. And he goes to it. I was like, go on. And he scores. An advantage is played. Good refereeing. And it's come through now to Mackay. And it's there! Yeah. And like I'm even getting goosebumps telling you about it now. Yeah. Like, the fucking Scottish have just, <laughs> have just beaten Bulgaria, which means we're going to Germany. And <laughs> and and like so we didn't we didn't do anything ourselves. Yeah. And like even the Scots, I don't think a lot of them knew the implications of that late goal. And it's something I want to talk about maybe later because this idea that teams go out and they play professionally and they play to win and we were crying and you know at five o'clock at night we were go- we're going to germany and like all over the news i have a mortifying uh, music instru- interest from the time i was actually when i was younger i was very into krista berg and uh, <laughs> i don't say that lightly uh, so i get that out of the way early uh high on emotion from krista berg what about that one We're not really high on emotion, though, are we? No. The great Christa Berg song, High on Emotion. Um, nothing more to say about that. <laughs> but anyway, that is a great podcast, Theo Delaney. Uh, look it up on wherever you get your podcasts, I guess. And also the Johnny Friendly radio show, Saturday mornings. Old school radio, brilliant music, and he's just eases you into the weekend, especially if you've got a hangover. What else? You're you're open arms a bit about the whole airline situation. I mean, I am because, like, the kids have to get back to school, and you know, obviously, I'm deeply concerned and worried for them and all that. And also, I just want the fucking peace. It, it's been a while. Now, I just everyone just come come and go as you want. Just come and go as you want. What the fuck was lockdown for? Because that was paying the whole. I mean, some people had a grand time just lying across the couch and shit. The whole family's there good stuff we get to go for walks and shit and we only got the garden done last year great good for you but for an awful lot of people it was 
gain three stone, have a mental breakdown, don't see your family for six months and like re- lose your job and just be on the edge. So it was really shit for a lot of people. So I'm not the only one. I can understand how annoyed people are. It's not just what are you doing? You're getting the virus in. But there's also an element of it really hurt a lot of people. So it's just an absolute slap in the fucking face. Mm. All of that was for nothing. And then there's the thing of like, well, if, you know, all these idiots are acting like they're letting people in. We're going to have lockdown again. And I'm going, best of luck getting Ireland to lockdown again. You won't get the, you won't get a decent lockdown again. Well, I was reading about India today. It's on fire out there and the, the, the virus. And they locked down very substantially and sent everyone home to their villages. And they just didn't have the infrastructure to trace or you know look after so they not only closed their economy and wrecked it they've now also got the virus which is exactly the same as in america and also sweden everyone's going oh sweden they're right sweden have no, been no they weren't yeah. the odd dickhead was saying sweden were right well britain uh, we're saying it that's the odd dickhead that, yeah well america, to be fair we're saying it. britain and america huge if you were to pick out the dickheads of the world no but huge populations um we've had but again all of these prime ministers are getting epidemiology scientific advice and there was a scientific theory that said if you get everyone infected quickly it'll pass which was completely there was wrong the, no, well, there, was, there was a theory but it was very much an outlier and from the beginning anybody anybody that was kind of touting the Sweden line it was a bit like listen cognitive distance is great if, I mean, if you want to find science to back up what's convenient for you to do, you're going to find somebody who's yeah. going to give you a theory but I think the whole world fucking knew now, the, the only thing was that there was this attitude like, oh, the Swedes will be grand. They'll, they'll do everything right because we always look at Nordic countries and say, oh, should they have it together? And they're just altogether better people and citizens than we are. The problem is the Swedes are quite arrogant. Understandably, I, I wouldn't blame them being so. But not only do we look to countries like Sweden and say, look, they've got so much sorted out with healthcare, with education. And we do, and rightly so. But they also really look at themselves in that way. So when, when, they, when Sweden decided to do it the way they did it, they were thinking, yeah, I know, but like the Swedes would be conscientious. What actually happened was that a load of Swedish people were putting on Facebook or whatever they were on, they would be going out more and to a mark of we know better. We, we, we're Swedes, we do it our way and we know better and we're more educated than other people and we're going to get it right. So when it turned into a pride thing, then sure, all of Sweden is getting out, making sure to take as many pictures as possible, post it, look, we're out, we're better than other countries. Now, any country is going to get a little bit arrogant if you make it patriotic. But the Swedes have reason to kind of think they know better because they do but actually. But we're as patriotic and we're fucking shite. Well, know? no, I know, exactly. So any country is going to be patriotic if you if you poke that. And they have reason to kind of be quite proud of the fact that they tend to organise their society really well. So you could understand that, which is not unlike the polarisation in America. When If you make it your thing that you're a Trump supporter and that you're a Republican and you don't do masks, there, there's no kind of... Well, I don't, but I don't want the whole economy locking down. But sure, I'll still use my common sense and stick on a mask anyway. When you make it a badge of honor that somebody has to wear on their sleeve, I'm on this team. Then so it, it seems that Sweden's economy has also suffered really badly and yeah. tripled their debt. But the plan was that basically they'd probably have a, they're good citizens. They probably have a bit of cop on. It wouldn't be too bad. But they but they sold it by making the Swedish believe, oh look, we know better. And when you do that, you just encourage people to take the piss. Speaking of which, Dr. Trump over in America has just, uh, he continues to promote this hydroxychloroquine thing and his new, has, yeah, his new, his new co-doctor that he's brought on board with himself uh, yesterday was a Dr. Emmanuel, who is this uh, Dr. Stella Emmanuel from Houston. She has successfully treated 350 
coronavirus patients and counting, according to herself. With I mean, I wouldn't be bragging there. about the and counting bit. So he retweets her and says, look, you know, and she just says about wearing masks is bullshit. And Houston is a one of the biggest cities in America and be absolutely getting hammered. But then you dig a bit into this Dr. Stella Emanuel. Dr. Stella Emanuel has previously claimed the government is run by reptilians and the scientists are developing a vaccine to stop people being religious. So you get a vaccine. That'd be quite good. Ideal. And uh, he's so he's just gone after her. And, and promoted her over people like Fauci. Fauci's there banging his... Fauci reminds me of, like, this kind of cartoon character who's, like, very clever and everything just keeps going wrong and he's out to slap his head. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's fascinating because there is no right answer. And, mm. I, you know, back to our situation, in Ireland at the moment, the airlines are kicking up such a stink about we have to be open, we have to open ourselves up to be able to go on holidays. And... You know, there's, uh, there's there's a lot to be said for letting the airlines go bust because when it all comes back, airlines will pop up and fly mm. again. Yeah. There's loads of jobs attached to the airlines and the airlines bring in tourists, which we rely on so much. So there is another side. Well, of yeah, this. but at the same time, we're saying we don't want tourists from outside mm. at this time. Mm. And then we have people going away and people coming into the country. Now, not huge numbers, but they're not being quarantined. And so everyone here who's gone mm. through the hell, as you say, is yeah. open to... But it's like every every piece of pain... Like the economy has been hit. Every bit of pain that people went through this year is literally just being fucked back in their faces. They may as well not have bothered. I mean, like even for me, I find it hard. I sit there and I kind of go, I'm trying not to get bitter about it. But it really fucking pisses me off. I'm like, because it was horrible for me. Did I go through all that for this shit? Why did I, why did I bother doing my best? Because like it nearly killed me. Why did I do that? Mm. It's really fucking irritating. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, I'm looking at the, they released the school reopening plan. Mm. Which... <laughs> roadmap they keep going after the roadmap I hate yeah. the little fucking catchphrases plan phrases. is gone it's now roadmap I hate their catchphrases right it's like you know the, the phrase reach out I fucking hate that one keep your hands oh I must reach out I, I hate like it's like the business catchphrases but the government have been pissing me off greatly in the past month or two especially with their use of catchphrases but basically every time they have a new plan they call it the roadmap and the, uh, the school plan is basically waffle I, like I, I everybody's kind of read the papers but I actually downloaded the document which goes on and on and on. It's absolute bollocks. There's nothing substantial in it. What they've done is they've thrown out a few keywords. So they've used words like bubble and pod. <laughs> and you go, oh, okay. So like I have two kids in primary school. So they'd be going back to like 26, 28 kids in the class. And uh, the class is going to be a bubble. Within the class, there are individual pods. And this is to help with social distancing because under a certain age and with a certain amount, you know, we're not going to be able to do two meters and that kind of thing. So what we're going to have is individual pods within the classroom. And everybody's going, right, OK, yeah, yeah. And I sat there and I was, I was I heard mentioned a couple of weeks ago and I was like, I, I wait, I'm just kind of waiting because I know full fucking well what it is. What it in fact is, is anybody who went to primary school in Ireland or I would imagine it's not a million miles different in other countries, but certainly in Ireland in the past 50 years, if you can think back to any primary school class you had, I'd say one in eight teachers ever had desks across the room. Everybody else had the yellow table and the blue table, or they had the table called after Leinster, Munster. But basically, you'd have four or five groups of tables put together where you'd have eight kids on each table. Mm. So literally the way every fucking classroom in the country is, is and we're just going to call them pods now instead of like yeah. <laughs> that table. So the schools go back. So the Major League Baseball tried to restart this week and the Miami Marlins uh, were supposed to be playing in New York and 18 of their 30 or 40 squad have come down with Corona. So those three games have to be cancelled and anyone who's playing against them or has played. So that's unraveling. That's a bit like school. 
11 or 12 kids in one yeah. of those pods in your kids' but like, school. I mean, my point is, they I go find home, it... They infect their parents, they go home, infect their grandparents, and before yeah. we know, we're back I mean, look, at I, I know kids have to go back to school, and basically, throughout the entire pandemic, basically, there's no right thing to do. It's just what's the least bad option. Like, don't piss down my leg and tell me it's raining. It's the, it's the horse shit of making up fucking catchphrases as though there's anything... Yeah, we managed but the to other thing they haven't done, in my view, is they haven't worked out how to properly homeschool on video. Yeah. No, they've done there nothing. has to be a way of doing that. Yeah, they've done nothing. And it depends, because I know that particularly fee-paying schools had more Zoom classes and stuff like that. And I, I, but I, I, I don't see any reason why you can't, in the same way that you go into school, there's a roll call and you're mm. marked present yeah. in using biro and paper, okay? And I don't see why you can't have a, a reduced maybe 15 or 20 class all patching in because everyone has the technology. Not everyone does. Nearly everyone. Nearly everyone. Yeah. Or if not, let's give them a phone or something yeah. that they can stick in front of a desk. That they're there and that they're not asleep. They want to go to the toilet. They have to put their hand up and say, can I go to the toilet? And they come back to their desk. I don't see why right, any so of that hasn't been planned like properly. Everyone's saying, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. They won't do it. They'll have to do it. Yeah. So my theory is this. We've had six months Let's say, I mean, if you look at the RTE homeschool, within a week of the homeschool of, of homeschooling, that went up. Now, RTE is our national broadcaster, and they did a special yeah. morning. So that, yeah, you, did, you could get it on the RTE player, but basically, it's just a little kids program. They're trying to do educational stuff because they realise shit, they were all caught in the hop, but they managed to get something together, and they're actual school teachers. They got on. Now, not perfect, not covering the curriculum, but at least something educational. But there's been six months now where the Department of Education have been sitting on their hands, twiddling their thumbs, and what they could have done was. Something as simple as set up a YouTube channel. For just primary school alone, you've got eight grades, essentially. Now, if you literally had one teacher giving the classes, and there's one class, so that every fourth class pupil in the country has the same homework that week. Mm. So then I get on Facebook and go, oh, fuck, I don't know how to do this. This long division, odd bollocks. And I don't really know people in the school that, yeah, okay, but there's going to be a massive facebook page of three hundred thousand people that are fourth class parents of ireland going what was the story with that i didn't really understand the directions yeah. of that so at least it's something it's not perfect but it's something they could have done that it's not fucking rocket science they didn't there's a certain child minding element to, to schools that parents dig into that oh i can get rid of them for fucking eight hours thank god and that's gone so they ha- there has to be a way where the, the kid sits in the kitchen table in the living room in their bedroom for five hours every day and joins a school, whether it's yeah. YouTube or whatever, using the technology that we have. Yeah, well, I my mean, teachers have always had it be in their bonnet about we're not childcare workers, mm, we're not, not childcare. And I get that and I respect that. However, this year I go, well, you haven't fucking shown it. Because they've, they've behaved like childcare workers because they sat in their fucking holes as soon as they were at home. Mm. So if you're not childcare workers, then do something. Again, we were all told to go home and sit in our, our holes and the teachers, you know, all the way back to when I was in school, you know, one in 10 or two in 10 teachers, you feel, should be teachers. Yeah. If you can't succeed, teach is actually a truism, in my view. Well, Sorry to all the teachers. I mean, listening. you look at primary school teaching, and I'm not, I don't mean to have a go, because there are some that are great, but bottom line, I blame the Department of Education, but there are some teachers who did do their best. There wasn't a lot in place, but it could have been it could have been made very, very easy and it could have been expected. And if you don't want to be seen as childcare workers, well, then do something that's more than childcare. Because if you just... Well, no, I'd also hope that you realise, given your two, how difficult it is to teach children. That, there's that. They if could like, have invested millions in getting everything into a MOOC style situation yeah. for Irish kids. If and they, they got, haven't done like that because, together, you know what, it's too hard or they're not creative enough or they can't think or whatever. It's very simple. It's very cop on. They could have done it very easily. 
Absolutely. And we have until September. But when September happens and people are going back to school, if we need to shut down at any time, there is a constant schooling and everyone follows it and everyone's doing the same thing. And in the schools, don't be racing ahead. Do the same chapters at the same time because you never know when lockdown is going to happen. That's not that complicated. Yeah. They just didn't bother their homes. My prediction is I think it's going to... Uh... I don't, think it'll, I don't think they're going to open up certain uh, the, with the ambition that they're saying here. Yeah, but I mean, like you, you can see places in America that have. To close yeah, but the down, sense yeah. I get, right, is they're throwing out the cash words like, I mean, they keep coming out with phrases like "pod and bubble grant." But when you find out there's nothing behind them, you go, okay. So essentially, what you've decided to do is right. Fuck it. There's nothing we can really do. But we don't want to say actually we're just saying fuck it. Let's see what happens. But that's what we're ha- what we're doing. So, and that's when I when I see the bullshit phrases, I think, oh, okay, so you've actually given up. And you can say pod and bubble all you like, but bottom line, you need to have distancing. You need to have a situation where you can, schools can go into lockdown without the education. All of the stuff that they needed to do, they didn't do any of the work. And basically we're just throwing around confetti to make people feel like this stuff done. It's just horseshit. Okay, well, the thing rumbles on. Anyway, as ever, we're here to do the top 10 countdown. The Don is up to number eight. As usual, she asks me three, gives me three clues as to who she's picked as number eight to see if I can remember who I spoke to. So what's your first clue this week? A healthy populace is a healthy economy. Mm. How appropriate. Mm. No. I'm a big fan of good unions, but there were bad unions. Oh, that sounds familiar. That sounds very familiar. Now I'm going to have to pass. You'll always find bad in people if you want to. But if you go out and look for the good in person, the person will see that and you'll find yourself talking to the good part of that person. No, beaten. That's because this person had some great little snippets for me. So depending on the person, there, there are a few people that give a great interview, but you're kind of I'm going through looking for a little snippet. And going through, you're not giving me anything here. <laughs> this person had great ones, so don't feel bad. Uh, it is Dennis Goodbody. Ah, our old friend Dennis Goodbody. Um, one of the great advertising legends of Ireland. Uh, more than that, he does his own podcast, Roots Musings, I think it's called. Check that out. Great music show as well. And Dennis and I have known each other since probably about 1989, would you believe? And he's a Quaker as well. He talks about what it means to be a Quaker and where Quaker, Quakerness, Quakerdom, Quakering came from. Friendship. What did you like about him? I just like Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to get back into the world. He's and very like... witty and he's erudite and he's, he could talk for Ireland. The two of us, I remember before I did the podcast, Dennis had his own podcast about Dublin and people from Dublin. He interviewed me while I was away and we very similar voices, haven't we? I mean, we, 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 we pitch and talk very similarly. A lot of people listened to thought it was me interviewing myself. And then I repeated, I brought Dennis on to the point with Shawnee B, which you're about to listen to. And here we're going, yeah, it sounds like, <laughs> especially people from not from Ireland. They yeah. Thought, they yeah, thought yeah. that we were very similar. Okay, that this is number eight. We're going to keep doing this up until number, the countdown continues, and then we'll see what we do. But before that, I give you the great raconteur and wit that is Dennis Goodbody. This is a good one. Welcome to another point with Shawnee B. An interesting guest today. When I first started podcasting, the gentleman who's with me here was the guy who showed me the ropes, what equipment to buy, how to edit. And he was my first beta guest. And... He was great because he not only gave me his time to interview me, but showed me how to edit and how to set the controls so that they record like they do. He's a great raconteur, um, a very funny man, a man who's semi-Renaissance guy. He's into music. He's a, set up his own ad agency. He used to be a gardener. He's traveled. Strong opinions on the way the world is going, the way society is going. And welcome to the podcast, a friend who I've known for 
almost 30 years. Jesus. Dennis Goodbody, how are you, sir? I'm all the better for being here, Sean, except for that scary fact we, to almost 30 years. Would we, you not do that to me? We knew each other. I started working in our advertising in 1987. In about 88 or 89, we're the writing partner to my girlfriend, Dee McMahon. Mm-hmm. So I would have been the early 90s. Early 90s. Mm-hmm. I left in 96. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. Where is that time gone? I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea. Time is an illusion. Lunchtime doubly so. And the lunches were much better in the 90s. They were, they, they? were great. I'm a complete anomaly as well because apparently something like 80% of people working in advertising are aged between 20 and 32 or 35 or something. I'm a bit older than that. But uh, that scared the heck out of me. It's an industry that was dependent on depth of experience. And uh, but there, no, there was a survey done in Ireland. And I'm sure the same applies in London and New York, where three percent of the people working in advertising are over fifty. Mm-hmm. We're both. Well, I'm nearly fifty. You're well, over fifty. Oh, I passed that. Crazy. <laughs> you could make the case that that is one of the reasons why everything has gone to shit in terms of the quality of advertising work coming out. The depth. Just, yeah. Yeah, because my, my mentors were all a lot older than me and I learned a great deal from them. But no, times are changing. It'll come full circle. It's, yeah. it's a very cyclical business. So tell me what you're doing now. What's your, what's your, what is your core business and how do you... Well, in the introduction, you very kindly said that I uh, ran an advertising agency, which I did. But in 2011, um, we had money in the bank, but there was more, there was less money coming in than there there was going out because of the little incident that happened in the economy. But one way or another, we decided to close the agency and we did. And so I now work from a bedroom and I call myself (laughs) a, a wholesaler. Other people go and find the clients. Other people come up with the problems and they pay me to solve the problems and that's fine. Um, And thankfully the phone keeps ringing and the emails keep coming in. But um, I also, it enables me to vary my my palette. 2012, I wrote a book. Somebody commissioned me to write a book about the use of storytelling in the sales process. He wanted to write a textbook, basically, to support his um, sales training business. And uh, we were having the first meeting we had about it. I said, Paul, he said, yeah. I said, we can't really talk about storytelling, the importance of storytelling in the sales process in a textbook. We have to tell a story. <laughs> so I don't think it's unique, but it's one of the few it's business... paradox. It's one of the, the few business novels out there. It's called <laughs> Soft Tales and Hard Asses because the one criteria the guy who commissioned the book said the star needed to be a Harley Davidson fan and apparently a soft tail is a type of, of Harley. Yeah. The, the story involved a businessman whose hobby was going off on ride outs and Harleys and stuff. And it got a good reception. I mean, still it's out a, there? Yeah, it's still yeah, out there. I'll put a link to it on Is it on Amazon or something? Yeah. The other thing you do is podcasts. Let's t- tell me about your podcast, because I was on well, one of your podcasts. You remember? were, you absolutely not, I mean, were. We recorded not 100 meters from here. We, we did, that's true. A long time ago, when my son was three or so, he was a bit of a handful and he was being homeschooled by my wife, who one of her many, many talents is teaching. But when I came home from work of a Friday evening, she'd say, here's your son. Basically, she wanted the weekend off. So I started looking for things, something that I could do that would involve him, but right. would give me a hobby. So I'd been talking to someone who had a show on, on Dublin City FM, and I thought, 
why not a radio show? And I looked at their schedule, and they're called Dublin City FM, but they didn't have a show about Dublin. So not. I put together, being the, being, be? being the strategic <laughs> advertising person, I went and looked, where is the chink in this armour? How can I get my Trojan horse through that? No, that's a mixed metaphor. But I, <laughs> I put together a treatment for a radio show about things to do in Dublin with your three-year-old at the weekend. Brilliant. And uh, they bought it. Uh, he stayed with me probably three or four years at it, and then he was too cool to do it with me the first one we did we went up three rock yeah. uh, so that we could look at the city that we were going three to rock do is, it, it's um, hard to call a mountain a hill yeah. overlooking Dublin it's, it's the, it's a, it overlooks Dublin when you're, all the TV masts are on top of it when you're there you can basically see the whole city beneath you we looked at all the things that we were going to go and visit the transport museum in Hoth we got to do all kinds of stuff around the Genie Johnson and everything brilliant but the first Christmas that I was doing that they asked people to come in and cover gaps in yeah. the schedule and they get people to volunteer so I volunteered to do an hour and I went in and did a live broadcast of basically of soul and gospel music left the studio really enjoyed the experience and I was off on my way to Dunleary and the phone rang and it was the manager of the station he said two guys from the board have phoned in wanted to know who you are and if you'll do another show do a, do a music show yeah. I ended up doing another show called Roots Musings which I did for probably seven years it's on Mixcloud it's called Roots Musings there's about 150 shows up there, there. Mixcloud.com the, uh, the podcast is the other one a podcast as well it's on well they're, they're all podcasted they're but they were yeah. broadcast on air no brilliant experience that's you, you know yourself it's, and how it's, old is Isaac now Isaac 13 <laughs> <laughs> and way too cool for any school yeah yeah you're from dublin right i am i'm from black rock your yeah. father was an anesthetist which is a very hard word to say it is so much easier if you're american you could say anesthesiologist <laughs> uh, um, so what was it like growing up in dublin in, in the... the jury is out as to whether i did grow up um <laughs> No, well, I have to say, I, I've, I was talking to a guy who I know who runs a pub in Hilden in Germany, and he's been out of Ireland for probably 35 or 40 years. And we were talking about the differences in Dublin. And, and the phrase, I think it's a book title, but it's a wonderful phrase, the past is a foreign country. I was walking along the quays. I was late to this meeting. I was, I'd walked along the, the banks of the River Liffey through what had origin in my childhood was tenement housing, Gas works, docklands, piles of coal, Guinness dereliction, ships. Guinness ships, and smoke, smoke, smog, yeah. smog, and the stench of the river. Those are all negative things. If you're from Dublin, you'd be thinking, ha ah, the good old days. But, but the, the smell was, smells were disgusting, yeah. and it was foggy. and there was Dirty old town. Yeah, dirty old town, yeah. Runny-nosed kids in their bare feet and shorts selling newspapers in the streets. And um, the, it was a very, very different city uh, to the one it is today. Walking along the river today all glass and sparkling, uh, sparkling glass and mm-hmm. more cranes for building more buildings and it, that's not bad it's it's actually a very it's a beautiful city and it's clean the river doesn't stink anymore the air is cleaner but I didn't spend an awful lot of time in the center of the city when I was a kid I was in the leafy suburbs of Black Rock which had by by the sea I couldn't have asked for a nicer place to grow up it was absolutely beautiful to be a quarter of a mile from a beach Less than half an hour, I could be walking up Three Rock to be looking back down at my house. You know, yeah. uh, it's an extraordinary city. But I know you have a very strong point of view on. Uh, I mean, those people listening from other countries who don't know the history, Ireland was under the yoke of Britain for eight hundred years and kind of became its own country only in nineteen twenty-two, and it was extremely poor, and we had to get everything off the ground, like a whole legal system, a whole health system, a whole education system, which took forty years. So around the time Dennis was growing up, we were still in extremely poor 
country, the EU helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. But you have a, I mean, also along this time, I suppose, late 70s, 80s, Reaganism, Thatcherism, neoliberalism. Mm, that was something close to your th- That is something that I, uh, this has been a, a, a large amount of debate going on amongst my tribe on the web following the death of Peter Sutherland, who was an Irishman, an Irish, called an Irish statesman, but is globally known because he was chairman of Goldman Sachs. He was the basically the mastermind behind the GATT Treaty, huge force in deregulation in European industry, the airlines. The whole neoliberalism calm is being very much talked about now because of Trump, because of uh, Peter Sutherland's death and because of Brexit and so forth. The divisiveness of the me, me, me economy. I was born in a, in a society, but I'm raising my child in an economy. Explain what you mean by that. What I mean by that is there is a need for taxation. Everybody must contribute for the common services, the the things that we share. When I was a child, your garbage was collected from your door and it was part of your rates, i.e. taxation and so on and so on. Basically, what I'm saying is, in short, is that there were more things that people got, regardless of their social standing or their demographic place or their wealth or whatever, things that everybody got as part of being a citizen and living in the the country. More and more and more things through privatisation. We've been told that privatisation is going to make things efficient. And then what happens is it gets commodified and owned by others. The ownership is removed from the citizens and therefore we basically have to do what the corporations tell us to do, like it or lump it. I, I'm not naive. I remember the, the telephone system in this country was absolutely abysmal, yeah. incredibly bad, and was kept that way by negative unions. I'm a big fan of good unions. Mm. A good union is essential. Uh, but there were bad unions who did bad stuff. The general trend has gone from provision of services through fair taxation Mm -hmm. to buy everything individually. Your water, your bins, your your health and your your roads. Toll roads. Toll roads, exactly. And health is particularly... I'm looking across the water and seeing the, the British NHS being demolished. A healthy populace is a healthy economy. It's that simple. We're going towards the American model of everybody being frightened. Health has been taken over by Wall Street and by pharmaceutical companies who have more lobbying power. In, they're, they're, well, somebody said the biggest problem America do is they mix capitalism with health and that just mm, does not work. No, you, you, it, it, you let people die because they can't pay their insurance. That's not a society. Mm. It's not even an economy unless you're, you happen to be a Nazi. To me, we're experiencing the death throes of capitalism mm-hmm. and the need to have another ism. I, I often, mm-hmm. I may have quoted before in the podcast, Deng Xiaoping in China back in the 70s said that in order to, to arrive at pure socialism, mm-hmm. you first must pass through capitalism, mm-hmm. which I think has been is quite a prescient comment because mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. At the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I listen to my, my father and the, his generation, and they all think it's great. He'd say, oh, isn't it great that we don't have tenements anymore? And look at all the great things. And mm-hmm. yes, a few and thousands of right. kids yeah. were abused by priests, but hundreds of thousands weren't. And mm. we, we filled ourselves with excuses mm. to kind of support the idea of a 1% and of a trickle-down, yeah. of a kind of capitalistic thing, without actually ever really questioning or saying, is there a better way? Well, the, the amount of pressure on people, and that's what keeps people down. The wealthier you are, the more you can choose how much tax yeah. you pay and where. 
You then can make munificent donations to things and have your name over stuff. Yeah. No, you earn money, you pay tax. We have more homeless people on the streets of this, of, of this city than we had when we were a poor country. That does not make any sense. Yeah. And then the other thing is charity. Whether it's charities for the homeless in Ireland or charities for the hungry in Africa, we're constantly, constantly looking at ordinary people trying to pay 2,000 euro a month in rent to keep a small house going to raise their children in are being told how lucky they are because of what it's like in Africa, but give money now, give money now. How lucky they are because they have that house that they're struggling to keep, give money to the homeless, give money to the homeless. Homelessness is a national problem which needs to be organised and coordinated, not by charities, by a government. Of course, charities are important, but as to what those charities are, homelessness is not something that should be regarded as a charity issue. We've lost sight of the fact that there's probably a basic societal requirement, irrespective of how smart you are, or irrespective of how poor you are, or irrespective of how bad you are or mentally unstable or ill you are that you should you have you should have a right to a roof over your mm-hmm. head food to eat shoes clothes and an education and a health system that if you get sick it just gets looked after we have a thousand people roughly on trolleys waiting in our hospitals at time of uh, recording um, my, my joke was i wonder what happens when we run out of trolleys yeah yeah it's all part of fear if the powers that be let's call them that and i'm sure i'm being called a conspiracy theorist already but if the powers that be wanted to solve the homelessness problem they would it's a matter of prioritizing if they wanted to solve the trolley problem they would one way or another it suits somebody to have it that way well i mean the other thing is the reason for that i think is and i read recently which was eye-opening that when we had the collapse of the housing market and we were at rock bottom, there were two ways to go. One way was to fix it societally. So say we, 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 you know, our, our income and our, our, our credit side of our balance sheet was diminished. We basically offloaded all the debt, debt to a government-sponsored institution called NAMA, who became one of the biggest property owners in the world. They could have fixed the homeless issue and the society issue. Mm-hmm. Instead, it was more important for them to keep house prices rising because that were their assets, mm-hmm. whereas they could have gone the other way. And they also employed the middle class, the privileged class, lawyers, mm-hmm. state agents. All those people got looked after. And meanwhile, at the bottom end of the ladder, poor people or the, the, the working class were not looked after mm-hmm. and really badly left behind, which they had already been in the boom. Mm-hmm. So we have a society here, which I think mirrors America in mm-hmm. many ways, yep. and mirrors capitalism, that says we must protect the privileged class, which we would be members of, mm-hmm. and we must be very careful to keep tamping down the working class, which is why we're probably going to end with pitchforks and revolution, which is what happens, because there's far more people, mm-hmm. numbers, yeah. in, in the latter than there and, is in the former. And one of the things, when um, the more reactionary people that I know giving out about the, the protests about water charges, which were enormous, yeah. I was on two of them, and they were very large. I've been at protests before, yeah. these were large. And when you have a large protest... It, mean, it means there's a lot of people who are involved. Sorry, just a background fiasco. <clears throat> the, 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 water, the government decided to charge people for water to their homes about four years ago. They started doing it. People in Ireland rebelled, saying the water should be provided free as part of the um, huge amount of tax we pay. The government dithered on it. The thing broke down. Uh, half the people had paid, half the people hadn't. Uh, they put in water meters in, to the tune of half a billion dollars, I think, mm-hmm. into homes in Ireland. 
and then the whole thing fell apart because of the protests and so half the people had paid and now they're getting rebates and it's just a classic Ireland cock up oh of which we have so of many it would take so a whole many. podcast we, to actually going back to the start of the conversation one of the things I've noticed since I came back is the five things and I've mentioned this in the podcast with Kieran McGann the five things that were problems when I left the country in 96 and I'm now back 21 years later are the same five things that were problems then. We had a health system that was creaking. Mm-hmm. We had an education system that needed reform. We had a homeless problem with mm-hmm. you know Tony Gregory and all those mm-hmm. guys. We have politicians that just talk and don't do, mm-hmm. so completely in, in action. A lack of creativity in government mm-hmm. to provide quick, creative solutions. You know? Right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. What are you going to show me? Well, well, I was just going to go. I, I had occasion to be in one of our, our hospitals where the staff are really doing their best. They're really, yeah. really good people. But I was in overnight with a, a child, and, and I found I was probably in places I shouldn't have been. But I found this board, which is a whiteboard, you know. I, yeah. I, do, I just go what hospitals do, what advertising agencies do, and accountants do. They have the whiteboards with their missions and whatever else. This was meeting. the blamestorming. <laughs> well, this would just I just couldn't resist taking a photograph of this because it's reflective of where we're at. The quality board priorities to deliver quality. Number one, adequate nursing levels. Not optimum, not excellent, adequate. Number two, adequate doctor levels to meet service need. Third one, hospital-wide management of overcrowding. Not elimination of overcrowding, management of overcrowding. Uh, And it goes on. But But it's quite pragmatic. It's pragmatic. If you're running a hospital. Yes, I I hear you. But it's reflective. It's it's pragmatic in it, but but as opposed to aspirational. Uh, but in in as far as being pragmatic, well, then it's obvious. Then why yeah. write it down? Yeah. What, what if your objective? Well, are, I, I, I could see why because it, some of the pressure these nurses and doctors are under is overwhelming. And it really is. Uh, and actually, saying, look, you don't have to fucking get through everybody, but try and get the most important. He's sick. You know, I mean, I, I you could probably just go fuck this and walk out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just so. Trying to put some semblance of management, mm-hmm. even if it is a finger in the dike. Yeah, uh, I can understand how you might have to try and get people to like. How do you get a doctor who's worked twenty hours to work an extra two hours when mm-hmm. some fucking car crashes happen on the M fifty? Yeah, I uh, know. I, I, I'm, I, as I pre- carefully prefaced that by saying that I have enormous respect mm-hmm. for the medical staff and and having. Um, my bedroom was beside my parents' bedroom, so when the phone rang and my father went out in the middle of the night when there'd been an accident or something, I knew all about it. So huge respect around. But they're put in that position where they're they're trained for excellence and, and no compromise, yeah. but they're put in a position where they're having yeah. to use words like adequate and sure. managing overcrowding. On the wall of the, the tent in MASH, <laughs> they wouldn't have had that yeah, written very there. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, triage unit. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Hawkeye, I want you to adequately service that. No, they were looking for excellence for everybody. I, I mean, the other thing I have a be in my bonnet about is everyone's, you know, well, what else can you do? You know, so apart from the fact that I feel that, you know, there should be almost a SWAT team, uh, almost like a mini ad agency of just people like you and I who probably do it for, you know, we, we want some sort of pain, but we getting getting people who think creatively about mm-hmm. about problems. And then it was, there's no examples. I mean, to me, Scandinavia is, is the place we all need to start looking. Mm-hmm. Where, yes, you do maybe pay 53, 58, 62% taxes, but people are happy. And I think Irish people would be happy if the education system was as good as theirs, mm-hmm. if the health system was as good as theirs, etc. And you know, if the taxation was fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a story, I don't know whether it's true or not, but um, in Norway, fines are means tested. So if you're yeah. a punter who's on 
30,000 kroner a year yeah. and you're caught speeding your your fine is commensurate with your 30,000 but if you're if you're worth 3 billion yeah. and you're caught speeding your um, fine is that much bigger I think that's beautiful I, I don't know whether it's true or not but it's it, it should be what the, sort of solution do you see? Would well, you I, I'm, I'm, this sounds very woolly that I'm, and given that you've already said it, but but to have the, some good brains on it, yeah. And um, really, I mean, in, in the UK, they had, they had these things called czars from yeah. private sector people who were appointed to go in and and beat the, beat the living daylights out of problems and solve them. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that, but you, you know that that would just be some sinecure, some, some rugby club buddy of, of yeah. the minister will get the gig, because that, we, we, we are a bit of a... Um, a, bit of a, a to look a, for positives, I do feel we have a government that's starting to embryonically develop under our new, our new prime minister that feels younger and it feels more in touch, and it feels less old boyish, and yes, it's still right Less way. dynastic. I, one, it was one of the Greek philosophers who said, in a democracy, people get the government they deserve. Yeah. So I say say that before I, before I go on. But two things I'm extremely grateful for in this country are that we have proportional representation, and that we also have a multi, we're multi-party. My wife's American, and they're stuck in an absolute logjam. First of all, the voter change goes on the two percent in the middle, the vacillating, yeah. where because one time it's some one party's fifty one and the next, and the other's forty nine and then it reverses, and then beyond that they've got the college system, yeah. uh, which can overturn the forty nine fifty one. So, but the um, college system, the, I mean, the electoral college system is more like the American version of proportional representation, where even small uh, states that have got. Fuck all people. In no, that, get that, a, get that's a, nothing to do with proportional representation. Well, no, proportional representation, I think one of the problems with it in Ireland is it allows the Healy Rays of this world to get into the doll based on a fucking boring down the back of somewhere beyond in Kerry. It allows local issues to become major. You blame that on for proportional yes, representation? Because, 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 you know, they usually get in on, the, on account. You know, if you're just putting, mm. well, I, I vote for this person to be my local prime, my, my local mm. team. And then you've got five five rounds of it. That that is where you know. Oh yeah, your man's doing good work for the boring. I'll give him number three. You know, and that's how mm. they get in. You know, well, are they getting? I mean, well, the the alternative to that is to end up with two parties. And to, well, the alternative is maybe have. Mm. It's hard to do an article because it's so small. But to have a stronger local. Yeah, that, I think that's you know, more the problem uh, than because because we, we get logjam mm, by pricks like Healy Ray mm-hmm. coming up going. I want drink. I want people in Kerry to be allowed to drink drive uh, from the pubs. You know that this, becomes a talking point for two days. It's and like li- listeners toilets. at home, this is actual fact. Yeah, sorry, we I, have yeah. a we have a we have a, 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 a dynasty of kind of tickos from Kerry. Excuse my my listeners from Kerry. I'm from Kerry myself, but they use elections to do they run on stupid positions like for example all the pubs down in the backs of beyond and Kerry are losing business because people can't drive to them because they, they don't want to drink and drive because they're not allowed to well you know they're only small country roads we should be allowed to let them drive drunk you know we're not too not too badly drunk you know I'm alright I'm alright mm-hmm. but those guys get into power they usually because we end up having hung parliaments hold the balance of power and so the government party that's trying to make a government has to sort of appease them hopefully not by letting people drink drive down and carry but you know they have more mm. power than they deserve or that their intelligence should allow them to mm. and I'm not just oh God, picking they're, I mean mm. there's some guys like Tony Gregory who've been really important well, to, yeah, um, yeah Tony uh, Gregory was another independent um, who Boy Barrett uh, and people like that today mm. are taking on mm. his mantle but mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah, I doubt we're probably going to solve it on a on a point with Shawnee B. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about is something that I know nothing about, and you're the only one of the only people I know who is this. You're from a Quaker background. Yes. And I know nothing about that. I'm sure lots of my lots of my listeners don't. Uh, Ireland is an extremely 95% Catholic, probably 75% lapsed Catholic. I think it's um, more than 95. Is it? It, it was 98 at one point. Yeah, anyway. And this, we are talking about the Republic of Ireland here. I'm yes. not sure whether the statistics are slewed uh, if you add in Northern Ireland. Yeah, uh, there, were, there used to be um, quite a significant community of Quakers in Ireland uh, in the 1600s onwards but um, so tell me what, I don't even know anything but tell me what's the, what's the, the top line on what, what okay. Quakers are Qu- Quaker is a nickname we basically absorbed the nickname so, you know when you, you absorb something it, di- it disempowers it yes. it stops it from, so the official name is the Religious Society of Friends wh- whose mission would be described as seekers after the truth I love that expression seekers after the truth and what it basically that means is, as friends an association of friends of people of, of a common approach to life right. don't do that agree with each other with a common approach to life and seeking after after the truth is basically you don't know what eternity is you don't know what happens when you die you don't know if there's a god or not Mm -hmm. um you might be convinced or you might be but we we don't know the truth so we don't say we know we say we're looking for the truth which is that that these are this is i would say saying these things first because it's why i'm still happy to call myself um a, a quaker but in essence it's just christian plain and simple and I also like to point out to people that we're not Protestants, we're nonconformists. Protestants are, because a lot of people in Ireland don't know this, mm-hmm. and they think Protestants as anybody who isn't Catholic, but in fact, Protestants were people who rebelled against Catholicism. Quakers, along with various other sects that appeared uh, around the time of the Enlightenment and after, are regarded as nonconformist because they didn't want they wanted to review it and look at their own way. I suppose Methodists would have been similar, Calvinists and so forth, Moravians. There are tons of them out there. But Quakers would all be agreed on some pretty basic things that Christ said: uh, "Love thy neighbor as thyself." As an atheist, I agree with that. Well, and this is yeah. the thing I love that when people say to me, "Oh, do you, you're, you're religious?" I'm not particularly religious, yeah. to be honest with you. As to whether there's a God or not, I don't know. I have yeah. my own. I say to people, "Define to me what you mean by God." Yeah. What I think of God as being the good bit in every person, and I'm basing that on something. I, I'm going further in than I intended here, but the founder of the Religious Society of Friends was a dude called George Fox, He's from Cumbria in the north of England. One of his the things that he said as said we should do is we should walk cheerfully over the world and look for that of God in every man. And that nice. that I think is a lovely, lovely thought because if you do that, you are looking for the good in a person. You'll always find bad in people if you want to. Sure. But if you go out and look for the good in the person, the person will see that you're looking at them positively, and you will find yourself talking to the good part of that person. Mm-hmm. And if we all try to do a bit of that. It actually, you get to hear people better. St. Paul never met Jesus Christ, but most of the Catholic Church, as far as I can see, is about St. Paul. Christ didn't say anything about homosexuality, uh, but the Deuteronomy and all those Old Testament button ones, which are basically Jewish books, say that. So let's worry about what Jesus Christ said. And basically, he very much was said, don't fight wars, don't, don't, don't yeah. fight. So pacifism is vitally important to Quakers. It's one thing that we would all be very, very hot on. If you can avoid fighting if you actually say well i'll fight in certain circumstances and look what's happened to the world all this world planet calling itself christian but the tomb was barely sealed uh before christians were fighting other people because they weren't christians going on crusades so um 
Quakers would gen would generally be conscientious objectors, go to prison rather than be enlisted, but doesn't mean that they they'd stay away from the fray. Both uh, there's um, uh, was an organisation called the Quaker Ambulance Unit, which my father and my grandfather were both in, who went into battle zones and whatever and picked up anybody who was injured, whatever side they were on, to fix them. So it's not about being cowards; it's actually just about not so believing. They were like uh, medicine, Red that Cross, kind of thing. Red yeah, Cross that kind of thing. But I don't think that it exists as an organisation anymore. But those are the things that are important to me about it. But the other thing about Quakerism that sticks out to people is that the meeting for worship, which is what it's called, is people sitting together for an hour in silence. And that freaks people out. And when I went so to you a, sit around a circular table. It's not, it's basically, usually, when I was a kid, the old fashioned ones were like courtrooms. There was kind of a gallery where the elders sat and then everybody else sat around. But but now that basically it's just a room with lots of chairs in it, uh, maybe a table with some flowers in the middle of it. And if anybody feels like has something that they feel they want to say, they stand up and speak. The, the old fashioned term is when the spirit moves you. Right. But you might sit there for an hour with nobody saying anything. It's basically a meditation. And but what's remarkable is that some, if you're sitting there uh, in silence and you're thinking about something, it, it is creepy the amount of times someone yeah. will get up on the other side of the room and start talking Irish about exactly or a vacuum in conversation <laughs> well, well they, they, they might start talking about exactly what you've been thinking about right. so there, there really is a kind of a, an atmosphere there's no singing hymns there's no yeah. kneeling down and praying or any, anything like that it's just sitting in an, and what together was the name a, thing the which the name thing that you were talking about the Quaker name oh sorry yes yeah. you were asking right apparently in the early days um, there were people who would get f- filled with the spirit and start yeah. qu- uh, quivering and shaking and ah. speaking and whatever you hear about that Pentecostal and uh, apostolic and evangelical organisations yeah. where people speak in tongues and quiver and stuff I don't know anything about that the shakers Shakers were actually, um, Mother Anne, I think her name was, was a Quaker, but Quakers were far too liberal for her. Oh, really? um, she, 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 she went group. to a splinter group, took a, a group of people off to the States. Extraordinary organization, yeah. really amazing, but they didn't have sex. Men and women were they separate. Died out, they? Yeah, yeah, by they, adop- <laughs> they adopted children and brought. Oh, they raised right, children, right. but only when there were children available. But they were extraordinary people. It was a Shaker woman who invented the chainsaw. <laughs> they, uh, they invented grain side they, right. they, they rudiments of uh, intensive farming and efficient grain silos and bio, yeah. they were incredible people incredibly industrious and Quaker Oats is part of it right Quaker Oats was a company set up by well, I, I don't know the original people would have been Quakers but, yeah, uh, yeah. but Pennsylvania was originally a yeah. Quaker because William Penn was, was a Quaker because that's the other thing there was a certain amount of persecution being married to an African American woman I don't really want to talk too much about my people being <laughs> persecuted yeah, but yeah. one of the reasons why Quakers would have come to Ireland would have been because they would have uh, been thrown in prison and stuff in, in England an antecedent of mine was sent to prison because he refused to pay a tithe to the local vicar which was an, an obligation it was kind of effectively like a, a council tax but it went to the church yeah. and he said I'm not in your church I'm not paying it and he spent about three years in prison for that how are the Quakers with like can anyone walk into a meeting or? oh you're more than welcome there's uh, a good few people come and don't join some people come uh, you know they come regularly but aren't members Do you get like people coming in just acting the maggot I've never seen it right. I've never seen it I've seen people who are a bit disturbed standing up and telling their life story to the room or, or, yeah. or whatever that, that, that might be a bit odd yeah. but they just get tolerated and maybe somebody will go up and talk to them af- afterwards and yeah. ask if they want a cup of tea or whatever you know it's, it's, very, it's very right on yeah. <laughs> I, I mean I picked up a, I picked up a word maybe two years ago for myself which 
I haven't actually filling my God-shaped hole with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Uh, but I, and it's just the word kindness. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of find that as such a strong word when you're getting up in the morning and particularly when you're going to sleep at night mm-hmm. when you just look in the mirror and go because I'm I can be quite you know me quite well I kind of can overstep the mark quite a bit in comedic mm-hmm. attempts he's very funny attempt, no bad <laughs> attempts at comedy sometimes backfire which they have to and they should be allowed to in my view but when you're going to bed at night thinking where was I as kind as I could have been mm-hmm. today in my interactions with mm-hmm. the world and yeah. the same in the, in, mm-hmm. in the world which is Christ whilst I don't believe in the Catholic Church and I think it's an abomination and I think that religion is one of the things that's fucked us all up there's clear teachings from Buddha Christ mm-hmm. Muhammad you know there's clear strains that run through every religion mm-hmm. that are all about you know what you said be good to thy neighbour and mm-hmm. stuff like that that we should if we all live by the world be a far happier place and war and violence and well, aggression and the notion of I I try to take care not to be outspoken about things that I dislike about or disapprove of about about other religions or denominations because and are important to say Christianity is a denomina- is a religion Catholicism is a denomination yeah. so is Quaker a lot of people say Catholicism is a religion no it's not mm. it's a sect within the Christian yes. religion but a lot of people worry far too much about whether there's a God or not. We'll know all about that when we die, thanks. Exactly. Our job at the moment is to, right here is to get on with it. If the notion of heaven is important to you, try and make it here. Very good. You know, my, father, um, uh, my father has a similar view. He says, I'm, I'm staying a Catholic on the off, on the, you know, because what have I got to lose? If it's true, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's untrue, I'll be dead. Yeah. But but but, but I, I would say like yeah but like the idea of kneeling down worshiping singing hymns and psalms and uh, you know as as Bill Hicks said it, you can sum up Christianity by you know eternal damnation to anyone who questions my everlasting love. Well, that's nothing. That, <laughs> I, that, that's anathema. I don't. Yeah, no, you, like, you won't. You won't find Jesus Christ. Way of you, Jesus Christ didn't say any of that. Yeah. Uh, read and I, and I sound like I know what I'm, I'm not a scholar of the Gospels yeah. I've had lots of I was at a boarding school so I got lots of readings and stuff when I was a kid but I did recently just for the crack read the Sermon on the Mount I think right. it's in the Gospel according to Matthew the only bit that isn't absolutely magic and right is that he disapproves of divorce right. which I uh, being married to a divorcee think is actually yeah. quite an important thing but everything else in the Sermon on the Mount mm. It's all stuff you'd say, yeah, right, yeah, okay, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas the, the dodgy stuff is when you get into uh, into the letters of St. Paul or into the Old Testament or whatever else. But the, you don't have to believe um, in to yeah. actually see some really good stuff in there about the logical stuff. Uh, but as I say, I'm not a scholar of it. I'm just I'm, I'm wary of people throwing it out on the basis that they were taught by a dodgy priest. But I still participate in Quaker meeting because... It's a very important tradition to me. It does give people a place and a freedom to go and think with other people who want to think mm. and to share ideas and to be in an uninhibited fashion and to not be shouted down or anything like that. If other people want to kneel, stand or whatever else, that's yeah. absolutely up to them. If they don't want to eat pig's meat, that pig meat, that's yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. fine. As None long as you don't impose it upon yeah, me exactly, exactly. Know, hello Islam if you're, sorry yeah. parts of Islam if you're I mean, well the, Christianity is doing the same thing yeah. to Islam the, yeah. the, you know that, well, that's that, the, it did yeah I mean yeah. I, this is the whole problem that we're, we're kind of caught up 
as a species uh, in revelation mm. that is pretty much in no position at no point has there been categorical proof of revelation i mean i, I was i was at a, a kind of a it was called the um, Alpha Meetings, which are about bringing, trying to bring lapsed Catholics or agnostics or atheists like myself back to the church. And I was sitting around a table and we were having a discussion about religion. And one guy said to me, you know, what's your view? And I said, well, I'm an atheist. And I was like, oh, you're an atheist amongst us. You know, and I was like, mm-hmm. it's like a sort of a, a different species. But, you know, I said, I said this. I said, we have no proof categorical proof in all of the thousands of years before Christ and all of that and no doubt Christ lived and he was a good guy and this guy said to me wait a second what do you mean we have no proof the guy rose from the dead after three days what more proof do you mean and I'm like oh, but I can't argue that right? I can't have that discussion oh yeah you're right sorry well done in your faith but as someone said if we lost all the holy books if the holy books I presume you guys have got Bibles like everybody else if they all disappeared and all of our memories were washed, wiped and we woke mm-hmm. up tomorrow and there was still sport and mm-hmm. there was still mm-hmm. trains and mm-hmm. podcasts we wouldn't get there today we, we would talk about how to be moral how to be kind exactly no, how exactly. to be right because mm-hmm. we have that built into us mm-hmm. as animals mm-hmm. but we wouldn't come up with a Bible we wouldn't, we wouldn't rewrite the Bible. We wouldn't come up with a, with a bloke um, being in fact. I read literally in a debate, yeah, a discussion yesterday, somebody said something about the Pope being able to decide things. And, yeah, infallibility. And I, yeah. Infallibility. And, and I said, whatever it was that this guy said that the Pope could decide, I said, seriously? And he, he came back to me and he said, yeah, basically the Gospels are just folklore. Somebody has to be has to interpret them. And I went, oh my god! And I said, I said to him, was, I, I said, I don't know you personally. Could, could you just tell me, are you being serious? And he said, you asked a question, I gave you an answer. Yeah. And I thought, oh my god! Because because for me, the whole problem is about. I, I'm with you all the way on that. We would come to the important stuff. The notion of how to build a society and how, for, how because because if we have a society and it hasn't taken Christianity to do this, it's happened in China and Japan and all around the world for uh, a city and to the Amazon rainforest. The right, to, still running around <laughs> to have if you're going to have ten thousand, twenty thousand, a hundred thousand people living in a city, you can't do it in a chaotic fashion. Mm. So it has to be in a way where people say, feel safe walking from A to B and uh, where a woman can feel that she isn't going to be accosted by strangers or whatever else, which all takes a structure. That structure has to come from some kind of a code. And I'm willing to bet that we would end up having to write that guidebook. Yeah. But it wouldn't necessarily have people uh, rising from the dead after three yeah. days or, or I mean, uh, not eating the, pork or whatever. The Pope thing is interesting because when I was growing up, and when you were, you were presumably in schools that taught scripture. Yeah, there were t- Church of Ireland mainly. Yeah, yeah, but you know, we were taught when we were kids, uh, and it's great the, out of the mouths or out of the minds of babes, because as soon as you're going into religious education, they talk to you about limbo. Right, so Limbo's my little hobby horse. Rush when I was Limbo. growing up, lim- not Rush Limbo, Limbo. <laughs> so Limbo, uh, for those listening who, are, who who don't know about it, well done, first of all. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was basically when you're a kid, you're you're being taught about heaven, hell, and purgatory. Uh, you know the great um, McDonough uh, movie in Bruges. One of the characters says, "What what's purgatory?" And it says, "Well, it's where you go if you haven't been really good." Or you haven't been really bad. The guy says, 
You mean a bit like Spurs? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there was heaven and there was hell and there was purgatory. And there were the souls in purgatory, the people who maybe didn't die by getting the last rites, which was a loophole. I again question whether if I've been a bad killer and I just happen to be in hospital with a priest by my side, I can get off and get straight to heaven. Bad. But you get a whole pile of people in purgatory who are waiting to go to heaven. And the amount of prayers that we give them means eventually they get, or the amount of money sometimes we give the church, they would release souls into purgatory. Right? Crazy shit. But then there was, what happens to a baby that hasn't been baptized? So a baby comes out, dies. Priest's not there. Kids ask these questions. Oh, well, that baby has not had the stain of original sin removed from it. And then it goes to limbo. And then as a kid, you go, what the fuck's limbo? Because we're kids, and there was a, a much higher infant mortality when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. People lost kids. Miscarriages were more frequent. Mm-hmm. And you worry about your little baby sister who didn't make it. They go to limbo. What's limbo? Limbo is a vast, vacuous place where souls just float around. And they go, and they never get to heaven. No, they never get to heaven. But they never get to hell either. Or, yeah, that's why you're in limbo. You just stay there forever. So, excuse me. For, like all these little kids putting their hands up. So you're brought up going, that is terrifying. The babies did nothing. They didn't even sin. And then JP2, you know, <laughs> early 2000s before he died, to back to your point, goes, actually, there is no limbo. And we go, there is no limbo. In 20 years, you decide to cancel limbo. Yeah, it's preposterous, isn't it? It's preposterous, like all the other things that you have that well, are preposterous. <clears throat> well, sorry, that's going to no, too long. No, again, it's something that I don't really feel free to comment and criticize, yeah, yeah. but... but you're seeing my face here Um, and because you see I and this is the whole thing in in Ireland it's also worth pointing out that the power of the church meant that there was no contraception Uh, contraception was illegal and um, we still don't have abortion uh, all of our people can go across the border to Britain and have one but that's fine but uh, like this was all bizarre to me because I wasn't brought up to think of damnation or anything like that I've never been never been baptized we don't we don't have any of those things uh, I did, wasn't baptized. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh yeah, we don't have confirmation or communion or anything because confession. that's a confession. Bosphorus. No, the the action of confession of telling somebody something is very deeply rooted in humans. I watch a series called Bones on TV, oh, yeah, and there's a, it's about a division of the FBI. The department has a shrink in it, and every now and again, somebody goes into a character goes into the shrink's office and talks to the shrink for a bit. And I said to my wife last night, "That's a twenty-first century equivalent to the confession. Exactly. We have that. There's the old yeah. Irish folk story of the the guy who has the yeah. the secret, and uh, he gets sicker and sicker and sicker. And the uh, the medicine man or Miracle Max or whatever his name is tells him to go and tell his secret to a tree. There, there's a there is something in yeah, us yeah. that needs to do it. Problem but has, and and I, I think that the church took hold of that and yeah. owned it I think it's kind of kind of what happened problem because shared it's, is a problem have you know it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The lack of ability to but the idea that somebody could have ownership of your of that is, is quite extraordinary to me the idea that you would need to have an intermediary between you and your creator yeah. if there be such a thing because that's another thing I should point out there are no priests or clergymen yeah. or ministers or anything in the in Quaker organisation so so that's Quakerism anyway <laughs> We're not going to solve religion on a pint which you only need either. No. What do you, just before we finish a big, uh, what's your view on the future? You said you have a you know 13-year-old kid. We're in the deepest, darkest side too of Donald Trump's presidency at the moment. What do you think 
your outlook is on the future of the world, the planet, etc. I say make or break. You were sort of going there earlier on when we were talking about capitalism and the and movement. The, this will either burst like a cyst and overflow and we can get to cauterize the wound. We can repair humanity or it's going to go the full way and we're going to the, down a slithery slope to um, <laughs> limbo or purgatory or hell or wherever. Um, <laughs> because the myopia of... The, the greedier people in the world there's nothing wrong with being wealthy if you can buy come by your wealth honestly I saw a documentary on Warren Buffett the other day I don't know everything about every trade he ever did mm. but that's one decent man yes, yes. a very decent man and Bill Gates as well yeah. for a, a very decent man perhaps a bit misguided in some areas but yeah. who isn't yeah. but the, in the political houses of the US and the UK and ours are probably the same they're just smaller and not yeah. as wealthy their vision of self-serving vision is terrifying yeah. it re- the, the notion of going into into the houses of representation without humility and without a mission to serve but instead going in with a mission to self-serve mm. is absolutely Sorry. terrifying it's fuck the consequences fuck the consequences yeah. and they, I think they fool themselves into thinking because they are serving their um, sponsors and the vested interests and lobbyists and whatever that that is actually a contingent of the electorate that they're serving but it's not if you look at any statistics of, of, of income in America a vast amount of people in America are actually under the poverty line. Yeah. Like, one I, in like three, I did a documentary. It's one in three are close to it. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So the representation that you're seeing through TV and, and movies is of something that, well, I mightn't have it, but I'm in the land of the free and the brave. I could have it if I work hard enough. But no, you couldn't. And it's acceptable <laughs> because, yeah, we, you, could, you may have been able to in the 50s. I think that... I mean, the idea that this is the darkest hour before dawn is something nice to hold on to, I think. Mm-hmm. But I tend to agree with you. Last question, what would you say to a person who's 18 today? Happy birthday. <laughs> I crossed the ball, he nodded at it. <laughs> um, what would you say to somebody that is just sort of embarking on being an adult? Looking back, what, what wisdom would you pass back? It sounds very uh, schmaltzy, but I would say follow your dream. It's something that uh, my wife and I talk about often because we have a 22 and 23-year-old as well as the 13-year-old. We were both very, very keen not to be saying you've got to do something pensionable or because I, I ended up in advertising because I wanted to be a writer and my parents said well can you not do that at night or <laughs> can you not? basically so what, they would have been happier if I'd gone and got a job in an, an accountant's office or something yeah. like that so I compromised yeah. I got a job writing and sitting in a fecking office all day long yeah. it's that feeling of trying to conform to satisfy the people that respect you, you respect yeah. and that did so much for you yeah. but while following your thing and there are two paths that diverge in different directions you've got one foot on each you basically end up doing the splits so I would say to that 18 year old what is it you want to do okay so you want to be a Premier League footballer and you've decided that at the age of 18 that wasn't a good decision you needed to really start working on that when you're 8 but you're into football you go for it 
even if you don't end up on the pitch you could end up a coach you could end up management you could end up being the guy shouting the instructions from the what's he called um, <laughs> but, but, but that you know uh, my stepdaughter is has just been performing in Japan and, and Australia on stage and she's got a record deal and whatever else right. that's been what she wanted to do and she's doing very well of it no she never actually stopped to ask was yeah. this the right thing or whatever we just said that's what she that's what I want to do and she went and she did it and the other fellow's doing photography and, and music also and he's doing it and fantastic and and a huge part a huge part of that exact follow your dreams comment comes up an awful lot from people on the podcast my view as well is a lot of parents in the past tended to either try and force their kids to live their dreams that they mm-hmm. failed to accomplish or they push their kids into places where they could then boast to their peer group or their friends about my son is becoming mm-hmm. a doctor or my son becoming my daughter. My son becoming, the doctor, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. anything that was kind of, what, advertising, acting, Premier League football player, oh, there's no money in that. You know, you might mm-hmm. be, you're joking. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge tamping down of mm-hmm. ambition and, 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 a, and a need to conform, which we can conspiracy theorize as much as we like back to our previous conversation. Well, Anything well, else you want well, to Well, just on, on that one, my mother, who is 90 at the moment, she left school. My grandfather pushed her off to work in the bank on the basis that uh, it was pensionable. And if she didn't get married, at least she'd have a pension. And that's yeah. that was my mother's career sorted. No, you know, I, I would want for any any child, male or female. I'm not going to say to you go and do something pensionable in case you don't get married. Feck that. What is your dream? And if you don't have a dream, go to sleep and wake up with one. You know, great way to end it, Dennis. Goodbye. Thanks for that chat. It was great Sean Boyle. It has been my absolute honour. See you next time.